0: Good morning. It's wonderful to see everyone here this morning. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. If you are visiting with us, we want to thank you for being here. You have blessed us with your presence here this morning. And we hope that you find yourself comfortable in the services and that you find that you are edified and you are uplifted in your Christian life by being here this morning with us. I hope the things that we talk about this morning will improve our Christian lives so that we can walk away and be stronger Christians today than we were yesterday. I have most of the verses up here on the board, but there will be a couple times that we will go to the Bible and study together. So if you have a Bible with you or an electronic device, a phone that you can pull up, I would encourage you to do that as, as we get later on down there in the lesson. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here this morning. <clears throat> this morning what I would like us to study is the topic of motivation. And I'm thankful that every one of us was motivated to be here this morning. So thank you very much. I want us to talk about motivation. Are we motivated to be what we can be for Christ? Are we motivated to be the best tools that we can be for Christ? Are we motivated to be the best instruments that we can be for God, for Jesus Christ? There are things that we need to do. There are things that we should do. And there's one thing I've always recognized or noticed in my life is there's always more that I can do for God. There's always something that I could do better. And I hope that we see that this morning and we walk away from this morning the studying of God's word together motivated to go out and be the best Christian that we can be. Motivation as defined by the dictionary is the act or instance of motivating or providing with a reason to act in a certain way. The state or condition of being motivated or having a strong reason to act or accomplish something. There are things that God wants us to accomplish in our Christian lives. There are things that we need to do. Do we have a strong reason to do those things? Are we motivated to go out there and be the best tools that we can be for Jesus Christ? That each one of us has something that we can do. Man, woman, child, we can be the best Christians that we can be. Are we motivated to do those things? If we're not in that state or condition of being motivated towards God, I hope we walk away this morning in that state or in that condition. I appreciate Riley reading from Romans chapter 6 this morning. The first 12 verses there of Romans chapter 6 are verses that some of us recognized. They're verses talking about how we are baptized into Jesus Christ. That those of us that are Christians have believed on Jesus Christ, believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, and us being baptized have been buried in baptism, buried in his death, and arise to walk in newness of life. That we have been justified, that we've been cleansed, we have been purified by that act. And then, going on as we are Christians, it says here in Romans chapter 6, as Riley read from the New King James Version, I will be reading from the New King James Version this morning as well. Romans chapter 6, verse 13, the Bible says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Are you an instrument of righteousness to God this morning? You know, the word instruments there, if you look it up in Strong's, in, in Strong's, the Greek definition of that word is Strong's number 3696. It means an implement or utensil or a tool. And I want us to focus on being a tool for Christ this morning, because I think that's something that we recognize a lot, as well as being an instrument or being a tool. At work, me and Chase Guys that work with me, we have measuring instruments that we use at work. And Nathan knows this too. We have calipers and micrometers and bore gauges and depth gauges, things that measure things extremely close, down to less than a hair. And we have to have those measuring instruments to do our job. If we don't have that measuring instrument, we can't do our job. If we have a part that we need to inspect, we have to have that instrument to do that job. And it's one thing to have that instrument or have that tool that we need and not pick it up and use it. That we may have that instrument, we may have that tool, but we need to use that tool. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. Are you a tool for Christ? And you may not be the same tool as somebody else, but you are a tool. You are an instrument. And are you using those things that you have for God? Are you being the best instrument? And if not, why not? What is keeping us from being a motivated instrument or tool from God? What is keeping you from being the best tool that you can be? What is keeping you from being the best instrument that you can be? What is keeping you from doing things or studying or have Bible studies or leading songs or anything of those nature? I want us to focus on what is keeping us from doing those things. And there's two things that I would like us to focus on this morning that I I think keep us from being that motivated instrument, that motivated tool for Christ. One of those things is the past. Sometimes the past just gets in your way. Sometimes you have things in your past or you have a past or or some sinful things or just something in your past that is keeping you from being a motivated tool for Jesus Christ. And the other thing is our weaknesses. That if you have a weakness, sometimes those weaknesses can choke motivation out. You have something in your life that you feel is a weakness and it just keeps you from doing what God wants us to do. And I want us to look at these two things, the past, your past, our past, and our weaknesses, and see if we can't push past these things and see that we can do things, that we can be a utensil, a tool, an instrument for God. First of all, I want us to look at the past. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 is actually Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, In the year that, 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 that King Uzzah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. This is Isaiah speaking. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, and two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So that's what Isaiah is seeing right now. He is here. He is seeing this. He's seeing God on his throne. And God's robe is so big it fills the entire temple. And there's these seraphim, these creatures there that are praising God. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That's what Isaiah is looking at right now at this moment. Then continuing on there in verse 4, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4, And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, so Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah is standing there before this scene. He's standing there before the Lord of hosts, and he sees this, and he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am of unclean lips. Isaiah recognizes something. He is seeing holy, holy, holy. And he recognizes he sees himself as unholy, unholy, unholy. And that's commendable to to a certain extent, that he recognizes he's not worthy to be in this room. Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips. I have sin. I have iniquity. I should not be here in the presence of God. And he recognizes that his present and his past is causing him to say these things. I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, standing before the King, the Lord of hosts. And then Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6, the Bible says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. So you see, Isaiah recognized that he was unholy. And he's standing before holy, holy, holy. And then one of the seraphim, one of those creatures there, come to him and takes one of those coals from the altar and puts it in his mouth, puts it on his lips and says, now your iniquity that, that, that is keeping you back, that unclean lips, your sin is purged. You're cleansed. You're purified now. So now Isaiah realizes that that is gone. That past is gone. That unworthiness is gone. That unholiness is gone. And then the Lord says, whom shall I send? You know what the Lord had? Work that needed to be done. The Lord had something that he needed Isaiah to do. He said, Isaiah, you can do it. Well, now that that past was out of his way, what did Isaiah say? Here I am, send me. He's put that past away. He is purified. He said, there's work to be done. Send me. Do we think that way? Is there a Bible study that needs to be had? And we say, here I am, send me. Is there something that needs to be done in the assembly? And we say, here I am, send me. There's someone that is sick, someone that we need to go visit, someone that we need to send a car to, someone that we need to know that we love them. And we say, here I am, Lord, send me. That's what Isaiah is saying here. He is pushing that past away so he can go do God's work. And he is saying, send me, I'm ready. It's the same for us, to, uh, it's the same for us today as we see in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 through 14 the Bible says for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present age in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. So does this not sound familiar? Does it not sound similar to what we just read? That here the Bible says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify us. That's the same that we may feel that we have lawless deeds in our lives. So our past makes us feel dirty, makes us feel unworthy, that we can't go out and do God's work. We have done things that makes us feel like we can't go out and teach someone or speak to someone or, or have a meal with someone. And it says here that Jesus has not only taken away and redeemed those lawless deeds, he's purified us that we can be his own special people, that we can be those Christians that do what? Good works. God has purified us. God has put the same live coal from that altar in our mouths in the form of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and His, his resurrection, who took away our sins, like Aaron said in his prayer, and purified us because we couldn't do that. And now that we are cleansed and justified, we need to go out and do good works. There are things that God wants us to do. God is saying to you, like he's saying to Isaiah, who shall go? 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, tells us the same thing. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 20, <clears throat> the Bible says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wooden clay, some for honor and some, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that is dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work saying if you are cleansed from the latter, if we are cleansed, if we have been purified in the blood of Jesus Christ like Isaiah has in in the form of that coal, that we are now a vessel for honor, sanctifying and useful for the master. Prepare for every good work. It's not God's plan to make sure that we are just purified and justified. He's got work for us to do. He's got things that he wants us to go out and accomplish, things that he wants us to do, and we should be motivated to do those things. He says, you are a vessel, a tool, an instrument that should be useful for the master. Do you feel like you're useful for the master this morning? Do you feel like there's more things that you can do for the master? You know, we talked about those measuring instruments. We talked about those tools, maybe a screwdriver, hammer, whatever tool it is. You know, those tools do nothing if you don't pick them up and use them. You may have all those tools. You may have a lot of tools, and I've got a lot of tools. My father-in-law has tons of tools. He's got the right tool for the right job, and when he needs it, he's got it. We in this building have the right tools for the right job, but are we using ourselves? Are we being those useful tools for the master? Don't let that past stand in your way. God has taken care of that. Go out in the future from now and be that useful tool for Christ. What is keeping us from being a motivated instrument for God? The other thing I like to talk about is weaknesses. That sometimes we have weaknesses or we feel like we are so weak, we have something in our way that we can't do what we need to do. Or there's some people that do things that we can't do what they do because we have a weakness. And sometimes those weaknesses become an excuse. Those weaknesses can choke motivation out and keep us down to where we don't do anything for God. And we can't be that way. You know, someone who had a weakness was Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, the Bible says, Come now, this is the Lord speaking, this is God speaking. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God says, come, I'm going to send you. I need you, Moses. There's work to be done. Just like God said to Isaiah, who shall go? There's things that need to be done. And Moses, you're going to lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses said, well, who am I that I should go? You know what he's kind of saying? I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. Have you told yourself that that before? I'm not that guy. I can't do that. I can't do that thing. I'm not that person. Well, that's what Moses is saying here. And Moses elaborates on why more in Exodus chapter 4. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, the Bible says, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute? The deaf, the seeing, or the blind, have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, I will be with you. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O oh my Lord, please sin by the hand of whomever else you may sin. So here Moses is saying, look, Lord, I am not eloquent. I'm not a good speaker. Moses is saying, I am slow with speech and slow of tongue. Maybe Moses had a speech impediment. There was something there that was keeping Moses from wanting to do God's work. And God said, I understand what you're saying. You feel that you're not ready. You have a weakness. That's what Moses is saying. I have a weakness. And it's it's my speech. It's my tongue. It's my mouth. I'm not eloquent. But God says, I understand that. I'm going to be with you. Go. God still says, I need you to go. There's work to be done. You go. It's you. It's you. And the Moses said, "Please, Lord, send by the hand of whomever else you may send." He said, "Send somebody else." I mean, Moses is saying, "I am not that guy. I cannot do this." God, find somebody else. And God gives him help, just like we have a room full of help this morning. He gives him Aaron, and Aaron helps him and, and is his spokesperson. But does Moses never speak to the children of Israel? Is Moses not the lawgiver? When Moses came down from the mountain and all the children of Israel were dancing around a golden calf, who else was down there? Aaron. So who do you think rebuked the children of Israel? Who spoke to them? It was Moses. Apparently Moses could do it. But at the the time, Moses said, I'm not that guy. I'm not eloquent. I cannot speak. But Moses eventually does what God wants him to do. You know, I can relate to Moses a lot. Moses said, I'm not an eloquent man. I am slow of tongue, slow of speech. I want to talk about someone for just a few minutes, and I want to think years back when this man was a a small boy going to school, and he had a speech impediment. He stuttered, and he stuttered a lot. He stuttered so much that he couldn't complete a full sentence. It was frustrating. It was very hard. So much that his mom had to send him down and tell this young boy, said, baby. Your brain works so fast, your tongue can't keep up. It's okay. So much that this boy, when he went to school, he had to go to teachers, and these teachers had to make this special plan for him that he could not be called upon to read out loud. Do you guys remember doing that when you were younger? That everybody would be sitting down, and we'd read a chapter, and you'd read, and then you'd read, and then you'd read, and let's skip Justin. If you figure it out, I'm, I'm talking about myself. Skip Justin to keep him from having to read out loud because he couldn't do it. It took 30 minutes to read a paragraph. Did that stop and save him from being bullied? Absolutely not. They said, Justin doesn't have to read. And it was very frustrating. It was hurtful. I was bullied. I had teachers say, it's okay, Justin. It's not like you're going to be a public speaker. That's what they said. You're not going to have to deal with this stuff so you don't have to read. And then later on, they realized and they tested him that he was dyslexic. So not only could he not speak well, he couldn't even read well. He had to go to dyslexic class and have a laminated sheet put over his textbook. Many of the teachers know what I'm talking about. So the letters wouldn't be jumbled up so he could read. That it was very difficult for him to deal with these things. So not only was this person, me, a stutter, it had a speech impediment, it was dyslexic. A wonderful combination to speak in front of people, right? It's like, that guy's going to be a great speaker when he grows up. No, that was not the case. I was bullied, and I stuttered, and I couldn't read. So I was like Moses. If there was someone that that, that could have said, I'm not that guy, it would have been me. It's like, I'm not that guy. Someone else who was just like that was Paul. At 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 8, the Bible says, lest and lest I should be exalted above measure, this is Paul speaking, <clears throat> lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. See, what Paul had was a weakness. Something was going on with Paul, and it was a weakness, and it was frustrating. To the point that Paul prayed to God said, take this away from me. You know, God could have done that for Moses. God, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow with speech. He could have been like, there you go. You're the best speaker there is now. He could have said, Justin, the stuttering is frustrating. You don't need to deal with it. Let's take it away. But he did not. Paul, the apostle Paul, said, Lord, I have a thorn in the flesh. There's a weakness. God could have just pulled that thorn right out. But he didn't. And I remember, not necessarily praying, but I remember speaking to my mom and my, and my dad saying, I don't want to talk like this anymore. Fix it. And they tried. They sent me to specialists, which helped tremendously. I don't stutter like I used to. But I was saying these same things. Take, take it away. I'm done with it. I don't want to talk like that anymore. It's frustrating. Jesus says this to Paul about his weakness in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, take this weakness away, please, God. And God says, or Jesus says, no, I'm not. Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. And Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Why is that? What does that mean? It means that Jesus said, you're going to keep that weakness because that weakness humbles you and makes you understand how much you depend upon God. That you depend upon Jesus Christ. That because if that man had no weaknesses and he was perfect, he would have been consumed by pride. Like he said in the beginning, unless I am exalted above measure. God brings Paul back to earth and said no that weakness is yours it's a weakness that you're going to deal with because it helps you recognize how much you need God because anybody that has a weakness and can get past that weakness it's because of God it's because of their faith in God that if you listen to anybody that speaks up here anybody Ian or Monty or Nathan or Franklin or anybody that speaks they have a weakness ask them about it you may think they don't they do everybody has a weakness And we have to push past those weaknesses. And that's what Jesus is saying, that we need to depend on each other and we need to depend on me, is what Jesus is saying. Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Because when you are weak, you lean on Jesus. And that's how we should. As I talked about, we need to be instruments of righteousness. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to start putting together a lesson. We're just trying to motivate people, that everybody should do these things or, or, or have Bible studies. But you can do more than you think you can. You can be an instrument of righteousness, and you can be a useful tool for the master. But that's the one thing about tools. There's all kinds of different tools, and we need every one of them. We need hammers, and we need screwdrivers, and saws, and glues, and level, and tape measure, and all those things that we need to do something or to build a body or a house for God. We need each and every one of those tools, every one of those tools. So, as we talked about instruments, we're still talking about a tool. What tool are you? What instrument are you? Is there something in your past that's keeping you from being that tool? Is there some weakness that you need to push past? Push past those weaknesses, push past the past, and be the tool that you need to be. But we are all different tools. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 5, the Bible says, For I say, Through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to thank himself more highly than he ought to thank, but to thank soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we are many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So here in Romans chapter 12, it's saying that all members don't have the same function. Not everyone is going to be doing this. Not everyone is going to be doing that. Not everyone is going to be doing the same thing. But we all have something that we should do. Every member has a function in this body. Every member is a certain kind of tool that you need. And you need all kinds of tools. You might need a big screwdriver to really do something. Or that little tiny screwdriver that helps you with these glasses when the lens wants to pop out. You need that little tool. You can't do it with the big screwdriver. You need the little one. Each and every tool is useful. Each and every tool or instrument is needed. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, continuing on there in our text, "...having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with the liberty, he who leads with diligence... He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. There are all types of different tools and different instruments, and we are those tools, and we are those instruments, and we need each and every one of them. As I was putting this lesson together, I had my papers out, I had my Bibles out, and I was studying, and there's one person in my house that really likes to help me, and that's Zachary Bowe. I was in my chair, and I was sitting there putting that that, that lesson together, and Zachary comes in the living room and is like, What are you doing, Dad? He's like, I'm putting this lesson together. I'm going to speak in the morning. He goes, I'll be right back. Goes to his room, and he comes back with his Bible, a pencil, a piece of paper, and a teddy bear. And he's like, I'm going to help you, Dad. I was like, OK. So I said, Well, I'm thinking about something. And Zachary Bowen, I need your help. He's like, Oh, OK. Say you and me are going to build a tiny house, or you and me are going to build a playhouse in the living room, or in the back of the living room, in the backyard. We're going to build this house, and we've got all the lumber that we need. We've got all the paint that we need. We've got hammers. We've got screwdrivers. We've got glue. We've got nails, drills, everything that we need to build this house. They say, can, can you and me get it done? He goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, we got it, Dad. Let's do it when we weren't actually doing it. <laughs> but he recognized that you need all types of tools to do this job, that we, as far as building a body that can go out and bring people to Christ, we need each and every tool to do that. Every one of us has a job. And Bobo recognized that. Turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you have a Bible, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse 12. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, the Bible says, For as the body is one and many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if it, the ears should say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would, be, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor uh, again that the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks, part which lacks it. And there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. So... 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12 teach very similar things. They they, they teach almost the same thing. And as it's saying, we have many different members, and each member is not the same. We are of one body. We are trying to build the same house. But we need each and every tool. Everybody is different. Everybody has a function. So then I asked Zachary Bo, as we were talking about building this imaginary playhouse, I said, Zachary, what's the most important tool? Which one is the most important and he said, the hammer. And if you know Zachary Bow, by the time he was born, he had a hammer, little hammer rattle. That's the most important tool. I said, okay, Zachary Bo, it's time to build that playhouse. And we've got all the, the wood and the material to build that playhouse. And we have 50 hammers. Can we build that? He goes, no. He's like, that'd be cool. But we can't build it if we have 50 hammers. We need those different tools. And I think sometimes we see that we want to be the hammer, but maybe that's not what we're supposed to do. We may think that the hammer is the most important, and sometimes we put things like teaching or preaching right at the very top. That's the tippy top. That's the hammer. Well, if we were all teachers and preachers and nobody knew how to love, nobody knew how to go visit the sick, nobody knew how to be kind, nobody knew how to be affectionate, what would happen? We would fall apart. We wouldn't be able to do what God wants us to do. We can't all be hammers. We can't all be be screwdrivers. We must be the tool that God wants us to be. And then as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, how it says that some say, Well, I'm not the eye, so what good am I? I'm not the ear, so what good am I? I'm not that hammer, so what should I do? I'm I'm useless because I'm not that hammer. I'm useless because I'm not that person that is teaching. I'm useless because I'm not that person that is singing a song. Each and every tool is important. Each and every tool is what we need. And what happens is we do this in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We want to be that hammer, and we see that we're not that hammer, so we decide to do nothing. If we can't be the best there is, then what am I supposed to do? You have a tool. You have something that we can do. We cannot measure ourselves amongst ourselves. You know, I wanted to really be like like some of the speakers up here, like Ian. You know what I realized? I'm not Ian. I'll never be Ian. I'll never be Aaron. I'll never be Nathan. I will never be those people. I'll be me. And I have a job to do just like you. Now, if we compare ourselves among ourselves or measuring ourselves amongst ourselves, it's not wise. You are who you are, and you have a job to do, an instrument, a tool that, that, that you need to do. We can't all be hammers. We can't all be teachers. We can't all be the most hospitable people. We can't be those that do these things. The best person at a Bible study in someone's house. But you do have a job to do. Maybe that job is being at the assembly more often. Maybe that job is studying the Bible more. Maybe that job is doing whatever you can do more. the kingdom of God motivation the act or an instant of motivating or providing with a reason to act in a certain way the state or condition of being motivated or having a strong reason to act or accomplish something as I said we are all different tools we all in in this uh, 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 together that not one tool is better than another tool because everyone is needed because some people might think that big screwdrivers is just awesome. That's what you need. But if your glasses break and you don't got that little screwdriver, you're not going to get it done. You're not going to fix it. You need every tool. And if you ever uh, are, are, are sitting there and you hear someone and, and they give a really good lesson, an inspiring lesson, and you say, that was really good, I want us all to understand something. That is a group effort. That is not one man. That is all of us together doing these things. That, that, that you may have inspired whatever that lesson was. You may have helped study with someone to, to help with this lesson. It is a group effort. We need everyone because everyone has strengths and everyone has weaknesses. And your strengths might help my weaknesses. And your strengths might help somebody else's weaknesses. And if we do that, we will realize that that house that we want to build in the backyard is going to get done quick. And we're going to do a great job. I'd like to close with Matthew chapter 25. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30. Matthew chapter 25, beginning of verse 14. Matthew 25, verse 14, the Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave... Five talents to another two to another one to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on his journey. And he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents, and likewise he who received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many, enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sowed, and gathering where you have not where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and, and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not, and gather where I have not scattered seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has more will be given to him, and and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in this story, the Lord has given these people, or he's given his service talents, given given him these things. As we talked about, each one of us is a tool and an instrument, and God has given us that ability. God has given us the ability to be whatever tool and instrument we are going to be. And he's given this one man five, and this one man two, and this one man one. Now, the one that had five talents went out and, and, and used that talent. If you want to, think of the talents as strengths. This man had five strengths. He went out and used every one of them for the Lord. And he's like, look, now I've got ten strengths. And what did God say? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've done a good job. Good job. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Then there was another servant that had two talents or two strengths, And he used those strengths for the kingdom of God. And he said, look, Lord, I've used those two strengths that I have. I did the best that I could, and I've got four now. Did Jesus say, boy, I wish y'all were all like this guy? He's got ten. No, Jesus' answer was the same. Well done. Well done, thou faithful servant. You used your two strengths, and you've done a great job, and you've gained more, and you're better than you were. And then there was one person that had one strength. One strength. Now, if he had used that one strength for the the kingdom of God and did the best that he could with the one talent, the one strength that he had, do you think God would have said, and he gained two, do you think God would have said, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Yes, he would have. He would have said, you used what you had, and you've done a great job. But what did he do? He sat on it. He took that one strength, that one talent. He was a tool for this one purpose, and he did not use himself. He was not a useful tool for the master. He just dug it in the ground and stood on it or sat on it and said, I'm I'm not going to do anything. Even though we might not feel that or we feel that we have ten weaknesses compared to somebody's two weaknesses, you are useful. And God wants you to be the best tool that you can be. If you have that one strength, use that one strength because I guarantee you it's necessary. It is needful for the master. What is keeping us from being a motivated instrument or tool for God? If you feel like it's your past, I hope it's not the past anymore. I hope you realize that God has purified that. God has put that away, put the past where it belongs, and move forward as an instrument of righteousness for God. If you feel like there are things that are keeping you because you have a weakness, don't let that weakness stop you. That weakness will choke that motivation out. I hope that you see that your weaknesses bring you closer to God. That you can go out and do these things. I encourage that everyone, I hope, has motivated you to go out and be the best instrument of God that you can be this morning. If there's someone here that is not an instrument of God, someone who wishes to be baptized, as Riley read from Romans chapter 6 this morning, and become a Christian, become an instrument of God, become a tool, and you want to be useful for the master, we can help you with that this morning. If you feel like you have a weakness that is as pushing you down, that is keeping you down from doing God's will, you can get past that weakness. You can do these things, brothers and sisters. If there's anything that we can help you with, we ask that you would please come sit on the front row and make your wishes known as we stand to sing.